This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wibura people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 89 for Wednesday 17th of April 2019. I'm Jeremy Sierra and each week I'll be joined by different guest hosts to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Uh, Tonight's guest hosts are, uh, first, Brandon Selleck. Welcome back, Brandon. Thank you. Brandon is calling in from far north Queensland. He actually qualifies as Mackay qualifies as far north Queensland, doesn't it? It's, you're, you're like in that weird part of the state where Brisbane is considered like, I don't know, southerners. Technically, yeah. yeah. Technically, this is central Queensland, uh, according to some of the maps I've looked at. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, well, you know what Brisbane people are like. Basically, everything north of Brisbane is north Queensland. So yeah. <laughs> to be fair, there is a fairly clear dividing line. Mm. Uh, we're also joined by my beloved wife, uh, returning guest host, Denise Puko. Hello. Hello. So, uh, Who is actually recording in Melbourne. Yes. Far, far south Queensland. <laughs> I, I prefer not to think of Melbourne as far south Queensland. We are basically covering okay, the entire eastern seaboard of Australia tonight. You, you are about a, you're about a metre further south than I am. But that's, that, I don't know that that really qualifies as, as a different, you know, have a different description for the, for the uh, suburb. So what I thought I'd do tonight is play some of the various bits of audio that I've grabbed over the last week or so of the wide, slightly unhinged nature of Australian political discourse as we go into this election campaign. Um, And this first one I'm going to play you is the Prime Minister talking about a horse that won a horse race. And I think this bit of audio and what it reveals about how Scott Morrison thinks about the nation that he wants to lead, I feel like this gives us a pretty good idea of how devastating and destructive it's going to be if he manages to to sort of slither his way across the line on 18th of May. So here, here is Scummo, the Prime Minister, talking about a horse. Guardians have caught the passion of Winx, and I understand it's... Maurice can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the last running next weekend. And the Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the yes. Queen Elizabeth, and, uh, and it's not just Winx that has captured, I think, the hearts and mind, but it's been their owners and the trainers as well. Because mm. um, what they say to me, and I've met with them and, and, uh, and shared a, you know, a few stories with them, and they, for me, epitomise that fair go for those who have a go. And I think that's the story of Winx. Um, I think it's the story of the owners of Winx. And it captures our hearts and imaginations because they've gone out there, they've had a crack, and they've conquered the, they've conquered the world. And, and good for them. And uh, they're the things I believe in. And so that's why I can celebrate, uh, along with all other Australians, of Winx's mighty success and uh, wish her all the best. I think as a totally average person, it's absolutely 100% an option for me to own a thoroughbred horse, to train said horse, to race the horse, to pay the entry fees for the horse to get into the races. That's that's having a go. In fact, if I just take my horse float up to a field and call out to the horses, hey horses, get on my horse float. That's legit, right? It's nice of him to finally put some kind of definition of what he means by his asinine 
have a go to get get a go if you have a go thing. Because all of his examples are be a rich person who can own shit. None of it is applicable to ordinary people. Like if he's he's talking about this because he's this is justification for things like they don't want to raise new start or anything. And their their um, whole campaign is fundamentally the conservative bullshit line of. This is like what the liberals leaning on hard on of. Uh, if you have money, you must have earned it. You must deserve it. If you're poor, you must be a bad person who is lazy, who deserves to be poor. And that is that is their approach to the world. And it's wrong. It doesn't match reality. It's like, but it, but the only way they can say it is if you have absolutely no empathy. Like for him to genuinely put this rich person owning a horse as like a battler story, like it's delusional. And yes, it's been Liberal Party policy since oh, well before uh, even uh, Joe Hockey was treasurer and telling basically people uh, if they wanted to do well, they just had to get a better job that was earning over 120000 a year. <laughs> well, then you can buy a house. Oh, did you say, there's another bit of audio of um, Scummo talking to one of the, I think it was like Paul Murray or somebody, uh, basically declaring that if you um, have to pay tax, why would you bother working? Uh, here, here he is. You know, I don't know what would be the point of working hard in a Labor gov- under a Labor government. I mean, the harder you work, the more tax you pay. The more regulation, the more they interfere with you. Does Scott Morrison think that there's a progressive taxation regime of 100%? That, like, if... First of all, does he think that if you earn more money, you pay all of it in tax? So there's no point in earning any more money because you don't receive any of it, which is deranged because... The, the highest tax rates, you're still getting a significant amount of extra money on top of it. But secondly, again, it's the Liberals taking the view that if you work hard, you'll have lots of money. So they fundamentally think that people who are poorly paid, that like, he thinks that a, a well-paid lawyer works harder than a um, person who's cleaning and working the same number of hours. Um, childcare worker. Or a childcare yeah, worker. Yeah, but that's, but there, there is that difference in opinion on what is considered hard work. Yeah. Well, I would suggest... You know, physical labour is often harder work and paid less. Yeah. Well, I keep coming back to, and this is a bit of an older story now, um, those comments that were lambasted by, I think it was the CEO of um, Muffin Break. Oh, yeah. The- or, or, or I think it was that where she was saying that it was so hard to find people who would take free uh, or who would take unpaid internships and yeah. that sort of thing. It was like, well, these people make their money off the hard work of others who aren't being properly reimbursed. Yeah. That's the hard work. They're building it. They're getting They're getting the gains off the workers who basically, uh, you know, being underpaid, but all the proceeds, all the, all the majority of the boons and benefits go to those in upper management. Well, and I had a number of friends who in Australia had jobs until they were 18 and then proceeded to not get shifts anymore, you know, like fast food or retail jobs, that sort of thing, because suddenly they, their award wage went up. Um, and so yeah. they, the, their bosses worked on a business model that was pay people who are under 18 because they get paid less. Have you seen that image that goes around on Facebook that made me think it's like what what rich people think uh, makes them rich? It's like grit, you know, this percent, this pie graph of you know grit and hard work and inspiration and determination and all that. Um, and then what really makes them rich, which is inheriting wealth or mercilessly exploiting ordinary people. Yes. Sort of actually, possibly a Venn diagram where they overlap. No, no, because the first one is a fiction. It's a delusional. No, no, the inheriting wealth and the mercilessly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they do, they do. That's right. Because the entire point of capitalism is that you can use the proceeds of one to do the other. Mm. There's also some audio this week of Scummo declaring that if you lift people's wages, 
the only way to do that is by sacking other workers. Oh, God, this. Yeah. Um, here it goes. And whether it's the policies which say to pay someone else more, you've got to sack someone else to do it, which is the policies of the Labor Party. I don't think any Australian wants to get paid more in this country as a result of their workmate having to get sacked. I don't think that's a fair policy. I don't think that's an Australian policy. I think that is a scorched earth policy of not seeing the vision of the growth of the Australian economy. But the thing that gets me about those kind of statements is this is the sort of behaviour we see, again, at the higher end of town, letting go of workers to increase profits, at least in the short term, on the uh, on the books and the financial reports and then boosting the salaries of those in upper management and directorships and CEOs. So while they're saying that people don't want to sacrifice their their jobs for a higher wage, but that's exactly what's happening. It's just not happening at the worker level. It's happening at the upper management and the control level. That's a very good point. I, I've been looking at it more of the deranged situation where they um, it's not like CEOs when they get an extra bonus at the end of the year, uh, are being criticised because they, they now have to sack some workers. But you're right. It, they actually do sack some workers. That's how they get the bonus in the first place. They sack <laughs> workers, they increase their profits, and then, then they get a bonus out of it. You're, so, yeah, you're right. The, in fact, Scamo is, in fact, right. People are uh, sacking workers in order to pay others more. The thing is, though, that's got nothing to do with the policies of the ALP, which is, which are about ordinary workers being paid more. And you know what? You know, you know how you could pay people work people more without sacking other people, by by eating into profits, by actually mm. you know providing by not paying the CEO some of those obnoxious bonuses. Yeah, and mm. but, but what you're setting out is that obviously companies aren't going to reduce profits because fundamentally that's the, you know a board of directors has a duty among above everything else to maximize profits which is insane we've basically created the corporation is basically a psychopath that we've created to go out there and, and just behave without any remorse any concern for human beings just with profit as the owner mm. like that's specifically designed at the corporation that's what it's for mm. um which is fine like that's what you want to create as, a, as an entity that's fine but what it means is that you need to have governments regulating and mitigating against pushing back against that mm, absolutely which is, which is yeah. what the when we talk about raising the minimum wage um which has been hard because the libs have massively stacked fair work but when you talk about raising the minimum wage that that's not about sacking other people like the companies would still need the work to be done yeah what the raising the wage would at at most reduce some of the obscene profits it doesn't it doesn't mm force other people to get sacked because yeah. the companies still need the work done. Yes. And it's unfortunate to say, but if your small business is so running so close to the line that it can't afford to pay someone slightly more. Or a living wage. A living then wage. Then there's a real problem with your business model and there's a problem with your business being a success. Yes. Um, but you also have the turnaround of that if you give, if you pay people more minimum wage, then they actually have more spending money. They have more disposable income. They aren't putting 100% of their income to the insane rents we pay in big cities, to groceries, to mm. just like the necessities of life, never mind the extras. But, the, and, and yeah, and Henry Ford understood this, you know, over nearly 100 years ago, and yes, yet we still exactly. are having this problem today. Well, that's why we have the weekend, isn't it? It wasn't due to, in, in, in Australia, in America, was due to, in America, yeah, in Australia was due to unionists fighting for it. In America, yeah, that was, wasn't it largely because Henry Ford wanted them to be able to, you know, his workers or other people, other workers from other companies to be able to go around and, and actually, you know, drive in his cars yeah. and go and do picnics and things on the weekend. And mm. it was like entirely self-interested. Mm. But fundamentally, yeah, these businesses rely on consumers and people being able to 
have the time and money to use their products. Mm. And it's kind of capitalism eating itself mm. currently. It's like just funneling more and more up to the top without mm. paying attention to what it does to the entire society in which they operate. Mm. Well, interestingly, another American example is Blizzard recently. Um, they had some record profits, but they weren't the profits that the current CEO had declared that they would make. So they laid off a massive amount of their staff. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not it's not like Scummo is saying that because um, when he when he claims he's concerned about people losing jobs, it's not like Scummo wants to make it harder for companies to sack people at will, to make you know give people unfair dismissal protections that actually work. Did you remember when they got when they got rid of um, a bunch of the unfair dismissal protections and when they fight against it, the Libs called it like they called it the Fair Dismissal Act? Oh no! What you mean? You mean work choices? There was a bit where they were attacking um, unfair dismissal protections and they were calling mm. their removal of protections for workers they were calling it the fair dismissals like the thing that made yeah. it easier to sack people unfairly they called it the fair dismissal fair like, dismissal yeah but no that was i think that was all part of work choices under the howard government and i think i was still in law school when that came out i read that act for shits and giggles and it's it's good we got rid of it i mean yes there was a bit too much protectionism in some parts of being able to get rid of particularly bad workers but they, again, just took it too far the other way and it was way too easy to fire people and dismiss people, in which in any other circumstance would be considered unfair. Oh, yeah. Now, we've got some of those protections back, thank goodness, but, you know, it's still... They're still weak. The Fair Work Commission is still a toothless tiger in a lot of ways. Well, they've specifically stacked it. They've done everything in their power and they've been mm. busy stacking it on their way out, which is the other reason they've been... Okay, so before we talk about the election, well, as we talk about it, are you guys feeling comfortable that we're definitely going to be rid of this mob of evil God, cooks no. and chonks? No, I'm not feeling comfortable. Is it because, like, the entire News Corp uh, stable is, like, just the most overtly pushing propaganda for the libs? Uh, is it? Is it that? Is it the fact that you think that, that people will buy one of their idiotic scare campaigns? And so which one? What, what do you think is going to stick? Well, I don't know, but um, as I've been saying since I think the last two times I've been on the podcast, I don't think Bill Shorten should win or can win. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. He's still a better choice than Scott Morrison is. But honestly, the Coalition and the Labor Party both have got problems and neither one should be getting power after this election is done with. You mean because of the you know monstrosities to refugees and the stupid security theatre bullshit where they've destroyed the tech industry? You know, that's... Oh, sorry. I don't no, let, let's let's wind back on the hype. Hopefully, they haven't actually destroyed the tech industry yet. They've just shot it badly in the face. Oh, uh, there was a there, there was a recent article I should send you, which you can put in the links for this podcast, which basically says that the broadband wars are over and Tony Abbott won them, because essentially the current policy that the that the Labor Party has put forward for NBN Cope is just a placeholder. It accepts that it cannot fix it now. Fix. The problem that has been started by uh, by Malcolm Turnbull when he was put in charge of NBN Co. Oh yeah, they've they've absolutely marked it up now. We you can't. Mm. I, I don't even know how you could. I mean, does anybody? So obviously, Labor's now given up on doing restoring the NBN to what it would have been, you know, six years ago if they hadn't lost government. Mm. Like, does anybody think? What's the best case scenario? Has anybody put one up? Like, is there? You know, how long does Australia deal with um, the debacle the Libs have left us? So we stuck with it. We can't be stuck with it forever. Obviously, in like twenty thirty well, years, we'll have to fix it. The, be- the best, well, the best case, the best case scenario is essentially you are just going to have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to get it to work, and no one really wants to put in that kind of infrastructure cost. I mean, it comes down to reframing. If you frame 
a national uh, broadband scheme with the original specs that the Labor Party came up with back in the day with fiber, with fiber to the premises, and you frame it in the mindset of, say, the Snowy Mountain River scheme. You could make that work. But that's what they, we've been asking them to do, but you're saying but, I mean, Labor's now given up. But no, they, they don't want to do it because they're afraid of the cost. And you've got to remember, we're still dealing with a with a bunch of Labor, Labor shadow ministers who were there during the Rudd and Gillard years who basically could not handle any sort of criticism from the media or from other parties or from, other, from outside actors. And when it came to that criticism, they were just turtle. They wouldn't fight back. They wouldn't respond properly. So they're just afraid of getting lambasted for um, this program, which they know is going to be a hard sell. So they're just not going to do it. It's why also the Labor Party hasn't made a commitment to raising New Start. And they've said, oh, we're going to have a commission into raising it. An 18-month review. Yeah. They have got shortened saying, oh, yeah, I think it's definitely too low. It's going to have to be increased. But yeah. how has it not increased right away? Like, we all know it's too low. We know it's too low now. Mm-hmm. You can't recognise that and then go, but we'll think about it in 18 months. Yeah, so why don't you do a nominal increase and then do your review? Why don't you do something? Like, yeah. put something in yeah. from... But the theory I'm hearing is the reason why they're waiting, why they say, oh, we're going to have a commission to determine it, is because they know that the figure they want to raise New Start to will be opposed by uh, the social welfare groups. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. All the um, labour hacks being like, hmm. "Oh no, don't worry. When they get into government, they'll they'll do all this progressive stuff. They just don't want to, you know, spook the horse before the election." Bullshit. Hmm. First of all, you couldn't do anything that would spook News Limited. I mean, they'll be doing everything in their power to destroy Labour anyway. Hmm. It's yeah, not yeah. Like- but, but but yeah, this just proves that still we've got we've got a Labour Party that is afraid of backlash. They're afraid of any sort of negative press. But we shouldn't in any way trust that they'll come and pick it up afterwards because they don't. They, no, we know they've God no. <laughs> It's interesting because um, ABC is doing one of those, you know, where do you lay a lie on the, uh, the vote compass? Though. On the vote compass. Yeah, vote compass is, in fact, what they're doing. Hmm. Um, and when you go through the questions at the end, it shows where you were and it shows where all the parties were. And what I hmm. noticed is that for the majority of issues, labor lands in somewhat more or somewhat less. So they don't, you know, like, yes, they aren't. Uh, much more, they aren't much less, they aren't neutral. There's somewhat more, somewhat less. And all I can think of is my many years where I worked sort of in operations and, you know, did personality and all sorts of interesting testing for to hire people to work at call centers and that sort of thing. And one of the things they always said about those tests is it didn't necessarily matter if you, there wasn't necessarily a right or wrong answer, but what you needed to do was commit. And mm. if you gave sort of the wishy-washy answers, you would, fa- you would fail more than if you said that, yes, I would steal something, absolutely. If I was poor and, mm. and, and, and needed that bread, I would absolutely steal that oh, bread. Is this, is this why I ended up on the top left of the yeah. graph, well past the greens? Because I was just like, you know, then that new stuff. And I'm like, much more. Coronade, much no. more. There was like, almost it's... nothing that they could commit to. There's almost nothing that more. they could say that they believe that they should do much more, that they believe they mm. should do much yeah. less. It was all sort of like, oh, yeah, we, we could sort of do more or oh, maybe we could do a little bit less. Like, it, it's all very wishy-washy. It's all that's, very that's watered the of, down. That's the whole fundamental flaw at the heart of, of the broad party thing, the idea that we should have you know two big parties who can sort of cover for everyone uh, because it, it, it means you're covering too much of the political spectrum and you can't stand for anything because exactly. what the Labor right wants and what the Labor left wants are not even closely to the same thing. And that means that if you're a lefty and you vote for the ALP, 
what ends up happening is that your votes get the the, the Labor right controls the Labor gets has more people in the Labor caucus or the, the you know the state conference or whatever mm. or the national conference or whatever, and that decides on the policy. And then so all of your supposedly lefty Labor people have to vote along with the Labor right stuff just because that's the party unity thing. And so mm. your vote just gets with the big parties, your vote gets co-opted all over the place because they don't mm. stand for anything. And even if you get a candidate who says I do, they're all bound to vote in the same way as the rest of their colleagues. Like, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no freedom to vote with conscience. Which is whereas if we have, you know, parliament. This is why the people are like, hung parliaments are a disaster, and we need, you know, only Labor can govern in their own right. I don't want them to govern in their own right because no, I don't trust. You don't know what they're going to do on an issue because they're all over the place because they have mm. to be because they want to be a broad mm. church. Yeah, but I, I'm hoping, and I doubt I'll get my wish, but I'm hoping that in this coming election, the result will be a minority government that is made up of a bunch of minor parties with the... Hopefully progressive ones, with, not more one. With pro- hopefully progressive ones, but, yeah, I've had interesting stories talking to because I've been talking to some uh, other parties, and it's like it is interesting where there is crossover, but, yeah, I'm hoping for a minority government or a hodgepodge of a bunch of minor, hopefully progressive parties that have to form minority government because then you'll get a bunch of different ideas coming through and well, and it will also get rid. Hopefully, sending the major parties out into the wilderness for three years will kill that sense of entitlement that they both have. Because the one, the overriding sense I get from both Scott Morrison and from Bill Shorten is that they feel destined to lead. Mm. They feel it's their time, and I really would love to knock that sense of entitlement out of the water. I spent a bit of time today arguing with uh, Labor people who are trying to justify what they do with refugees on the basis that look, they need to do it so they can win government, so they can be less less harsh. Than the libs, and I'm like, um, you guys restarted the hideous offshore detention stuff, and they're like, oh, but you know, you can't, you can't do much more than that because the Australian public's not with you, and you're like, no, but that's a problem when you don't actually stand for anything, when you are vague and wishy-washy about it, because in fact, we've played on the podcast audio of, of Albo telling Sky that Labor was wrong uh, about the refugees when it, when it was uh, trying to be humane, and uh, you know, the libs were right, and people drowned because the libs were right, and um, all of that shit. Like, every time the ALP covers the Libs' lies about offshore detention, every time the ALP um, gives us the whole... Well, so the Libs', li- the Libs lines on offshore detention are, um, it's the only way to stop people drowning. Uh, no. Uh, one, people... We don't know that people aren't um, drowning because they just don't keep record of it. They don't... They still they drown. Don't drown they don't drown in Australian waters. Yeah, exactly. So they're not dead. Oh, wait, no, they dr- if you drag them out and they drown somewhere else, they're still dead. Um, mm. And also, you could easily let them come here by plane, uh, give them a visa to arrive, and then process their claim when they got here. Like, if, we can save their lives quite easily. Um, mm. All of their lies about, you know, the, the idea that you can, that if you deter people into staying in danger overseas, then then that's fine, you've saved their lives. No, you haven't. There's a reason why they were prepared to take a, a risky boat voyage in the first place. Like, mm. nothing, nothing the Libs run, the only thing that the Libs run that is honest is, we don't want foreigners here. Yeah, um, and basically. But, but you can call bullshit on that too, because why don't you want foreigners here? Oh, because they cost a lot of money and they take resources away. No, they cost a hell of a lot less money than offshore detention. And they actually bring mm. a lot of money they, to the economy. Yeah, immigration is an economic boom, positive to the economy. Like mm. uh, all of the only thing that you can, that the only thing that's not a fundamental lie that when you come down to it that you can't just rebut is the the flat out xenophobia of, but we just don't like people from these different cultures. That's mm. that that one that one is true, and that's a, that's mm. a 
it's hideous and stupid, but it's a it's a, a mindset, mm. and you can call bullshit mm. and, ha- and gradually try and persuade them mm. as to why that's just based on mm. dumb prejudice and isn't actually you know a rational fear. Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, every other part is stuff that the Labour Party should be able to rebut. But instead, they actually repeat the lies to the coalition, thereby making it impossible for them to ever push back. And all they do mm. is they get dragged further and further to the insane mm. um, position of the libs. And then they're standing up. Then you've got they've got people out there saying, "Oh, you know, we're not as bad as the libs." When their own MPs mm. are out there constantly saying, "We are, mm. you know, of the same mind as the libs on, on offshore detention." Save recently the the minor concessions on the, in the um, Phelps Medivac bill. But other than that, like they're proudly declaring that they're exactly of the same mm. mind as the libs. And well, they've basically been rubber stamping um, liberal. Um Policy going through uh, the lower house in regards to refugees, in regards to security. So yeah, they they have not differentiated themselves at all in regards to these awful policies. It doesn't help them politically because all it no does, it means that they can't. The libs have a position. It's not the only position, mm. and but they're always going to be stronger on that side of those arguments than the Labor Party is. And if mm. Labor just concedes it and says, "Well, that's the right side. We're just not as good at it." Mm. then they can never win. Like, it's not only unprincipled, it's also shit politics. Mm. Look, they, yeah. they think that they should somewhat less deal with the way they deal with refugees, that, that, that it's, they should be somewhat less cruel to them. Mm. Which is insane. Like, how do you... And I, I've had Labour people this afternoon arguing with me that, that um, the, the Greens are just being opportunistic about it. And I'm like, they're the only part... Like, there is a refugee convention that Australia signed. Mm. We as a country signed it. Mm. How is it a fringe inconsistent position for the Greens to be saying, 100% of the time, we should abide by our obligations under the treaty we signed? Yeah. Like, how is that the fringe position that dare not speak its name that the media should ignore and treat as if it's way off to the side? It's the freaking convention we signed. How is that not the mainstream position? Well, they're saying it, so they're hoping people will believe it. If you say something, you say a lie loud enough and loud enough... um, if you say a lie loud enough, people will start to believe it, and often enough. And often That's enough. the issue, well, I think, here. Brendan? Where did you land on the vote compass? Where did I, oh, where did I land on the vote compass? Uh, as always, more socially progressive than the Greens, but not as far left economically as the Greens. I think you and I probably ended up in a very similar position. Mm. Did you not do much more enough for things like Newstart and things? Oh, no. I, I said much more for Newstart, but I didn't say, I just said somewhat more for foreign aid. Yeah, I might have been. I think I came down the foreign aid. I came down the foreign aid thing, and that's simply because I'm not entirely sure how much we're donating the foreign aid these days. Apparently, we're at the lowest that we've ever been, and I hadn't realized that. Yeah, no, we're, we're disgraceful at the moment. But but hang on, but but at least the parties are of of the same mind on foreign aid to uh, rich European countries and very rich churches <laughs> who may have just recently <laughs> lost a, 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 a you know beautiful historic building. Well, actually, they're not. Um, I sent a. I'll have to send you. But yes, you and I were both. You and I and D were all looking at the same articles about how um, both sides, both sides, Labor and Liberal, were saying, "Oh, we need to donate money yeah. to the French government." Um, Scott Morrison came out later this afternoon and said, "No, we're not going to donate money." And it's like this is the only time yeah. so far this week that a I've agreed with Scott Morrison and b actually said no we shouldn't be sending foreign yeah. aid because it's not foreign aid it's a re- <laughs> that is, like it's same people are going to frame oh look I completely agree with you but people are going to frame it as that and look the French government financially are fine 
Yeah. And the Catholic Church, let's be honest, financially are fine. I mean, <laughs> if you want to have a discussion now about, hey, let's let's tax churches, that's that's an opening for that. But that may be for another night. So this is this is Bill Shorten talking about about the Notre Dame this afternoon and, and agreeing with Malcolm mm. Turnbull, Turnbull's idiotic brain fart that Australia should send money. Yeah. I don't know how many people here, but uh, certainly I and millions of Australians over the years have backpacked or travelled to Paris. And one of those postcard moments of any young Australian's trip overseas is to go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is an 800-year-old cathedral. It has survived civil war and religious strife, German occupation. So I think a lot of us were really uh, sad and shocked to see what has happened today. I mean, for Australians, imagine if we saw the Opera House on fire. And that is what we've essentially seen uh, in France. And Notre Dame, therefore, doesn't just belong to Paris or France, it belongs to the world. I like uh, Mr Turnbull's idea that there should be uh, some modest commitment to help rebuild if that is the case. And if that's what friends are for, uh, and I would encourage Mr Morrison to take up mine and Mr Turnbull's idea. I love how short and segued from uh, Mr. Uh, Turnbull's idea to mine and Mr. Turnbull's idea too. Like, <laughs> he thought it was, he was on a winner and he's like, oh, I can get some credit for this. Um, but like, he, you know, he, he can't find the money for Newstart to be raised, to commit to definitely mm. raising Newstart. But, but, you know, if Malcolm Turnbull suggests giving money, you know, short and short, look, this is a sad thing. People are sad about it. It'll be popular to give them some cash. Mm. I'll go on with that. It's just like such a weather vane, idiotic thing to do. Well, Malcolm Turnbull's not going to be donating money to the Liberal Party for this campaign, so he can donate that instead to Notre Dame. It's actually, it's like, um, it's it's kind of an unforced error from Shorten, isn't it? Because he kind of did give Morrison an opportunity to go, mm. no, they don't need our money. That's yeah. stupid. Yeah. Like, well, look, if the New South Wales, recent New South Wales state election proved anything, if you just give them enough rope, the Liberal, the Labor Party will screw up for themselves without any prompting. Although maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a thing where he really didn't have a choice because hmm. unlike Scummo, he doesn't have the uh, Murdoch press on the side. So hmm. if Scummo said, we'll give some money and Shorten said, no, he won't, he'll be portrayed as a cruel, uh, you know, unsympathetic monster. You know, this, this beautiful building gone, but Shorten's too tight-fisted. Um, although to be fair, I actually don't think that would hurt him because part no. of their whole line is that he's you know, a spendthrift. Yeah. But, um, well, he hates accountants. He hates accountants? Oh, hmm. He hates accountants because uh, he, he hates that, that profession and, and he's, he's anti-professionals because of, um, he basically said that on your tax return, he wants to cap the maximum you can spend on accountants fees in a year oh, that's right. at $3,000. So that must be accountants. <laughs> or he might, he might have a problem with the idiotic thing where for some unfathomable reason, we are paying through tax refunds and, and, dis- and um, tax reductions we pay for rich people to use mm. accountants to dodge their tax. Basically, mm. what he said. Yeah. Well, have you guys been following? Have you guys been following tax time in the US? Uh, not really. Although that system is insane. No. They don't well, have e-tax be, basically, they can't. Yeah. No, well, basically, the because of all the tax cuts that Trump has promised, but that has been hitting the middle classes a lot harder than they expected, particularly people who voted for Trump and suddenly people who usually got money back from the IRS in the US have had a large tax bill this year. Hang on, how come from a... Because he hasn't increased taxes, why would they suddenly... He has increased taxes. Oh, he did. It's not just... The, so it was a tax yeah, cut. The, well, the, he, well, the, well they were, yeah, the tax cuts only affected um, 
people above a certain income, which is essentially the model they want to introduce here. But wait a minute, do they? So, and as we saw, as we saw under the as the the projection under the budget just before the election was called, you're going to have you're going to, basically high income earners are going to be fine, but middle income and low income earners are going to either be slugged or not as well off as they would be Look, otherwise. In 2024, according to the current Liberal Party projections, if they get in and can do their budget, mm-hmm. in 2024, people earning about forty thousand dollars a year will be better off. Hang on, what we're talking about their bullshit tax policy. 2024. But if they can predict financial markets in five years' time, they are wizards. And we know they're not wizards. Look, let's talk about some of their, what we're talking about, bullshit lies and their insane tax policy. Let's let's have a bit of uh, Frydenberg talking bullshit about uh, their franking credits cashback scheme. Or sorry, what they call (laughs) Labor's retiree tax. And then, of course, uh, the retirees tax. What the Labor Party is doing is reaching into the pockets of hard-working retirees. These are people who have done nothing wrong except get on the wrong side of the Labor Party. Bill Shorten insulted more than one million retirees in his budget reply by saying that they received a gift. A gift. Well, this is a bipartisan commitment that has been there as part of the tax system for decades until Bill Shorten ran out of money. The retiree tax is up there with the death tax. Great things that are just great media well, spin. Uh, it's worse than that because the death tax is at least, an inheritance tax is at least a tax. Yes. The retiree tax is not a retiree tax. It's just a lie. Like, in fact, no media organisation should honestly be using the term because it's it's such a transparent lie. It's like it immediately fails any fact check. It's not a tax to not give people a cash payout when they don't pay tax just yes. because they're rich and own shares. Like... And, and they're like, ah, but I have paid tax through the company that I'm a member of. No, the company paid tax because the company is a different entity to you. The company mm. is distinct from you. You mm. are a taxpayer and the company is a taxpayer. You aren't paying any tax. You can't get a refund. It's not a refund when you get cash for tax you didn't pay. Mm. It's a rort. No, it's it a is coal- a gift. It's the coalition bringing fear in a handful of dust, as they always do. It's just the scare campaign to scare their voter base into voting for them still. What I found really interesting is um, I, every once in a while, read our local council-based newspaper, um, usually to raise my blood pressure because it's mostly uh, (laughs) real estate ads and shilling for, you know, conservative schools. Um, But there was actually a letter uh, to the editor the other day, which was a letter to Michael Suker, our local uh, representative, saying... Stop lying about the retiree tax. I'm a retiree. I receive these franking credits. This is a gift of money. This is, I would rather that money go to schools, go to hospitals, and I'm going to continue to donate my franking credits that I receive every year to the local, like, hospital and that sort of thing, which I think it gets him probably another deduction. Anyway, that's beside the point. Mm. <laughs> it's really interesting to see a retiree in this very sort of traditionally conservative little paper attacking the local candidate, just saying, stop calling it this, stop it with misinformation you're wrong no we need more like that yes we do do either of you think that the calling it a a tax so obviously there's two effects of it one is the obvious one of it lets the boomers who are exploiting this loophole uh feel self-righteous uh and um rather than feeling like because i mean their whole myth 
as they get this massive um, subsidy from the taxpayer. Uh, and, you know, where the rest of us are paying tax on our income, they don't. So where, where these people like to pretend that they're self-funded retirees and their entire self-image is that they don't need anything from the government, but the government better not stop giving them the stuff that they need from the government. But their whole idea of self-funded, being self-funded. So then having money taken away from them isn't losing a payout they get from the government. It's their own money, and therefore it's a tax. Like, mm. how much of it is simply telling greedy boomers that they can keep their delusional self-image and, um, you know, and helping them not feel in, in, you know, this kind of guilt that might make them go, you know, I, I probably should uh, give up that, that, that uh, rort because it's not really deserved. Mm. That's, that's one angle. I suspect that works because human nature is, you know, if, if, if those sort of people probably do want that reassurance, although I don't know how much difference that makes to their votes because I suspect they're all voting Liberal in the first place. But the second possibility is the really dishonest, misleading one, which is the many retirees who don't get the benefit of this rort. So the ones who don't have accountants who've helped them reduce their taxable income to zero so they can get you know get cash back. Because, um, of course, the cash back only applies if you're not paying any tax. Like, 100% of the people who get the cash back pay zero tax. Mm. And 100% of them own a significant number of shares. Otherwise, it would be negligible any... Um, any cash back anyway. All the ones you're talking mm. about where they get significant um, amounts of money through this rort means that they are getting... That's dividends, which mean Sorry, that's the tax paid on dividends, which means they're getting, um, what, three more than three times as much in dividends, yeah. which again means they must have even huger asset pools of those shares. Like, um, But for all the retirees who don't fit in that category, do you reckon that the Libs are being successful in convincing the disengaged retirees that Labor is actually bringing in an actual tax that will actually tax them? Or do you think that the retirees in those positions, as soon as they realise it's about franking credits that they know that they don't get any of, like, they realise that doesn't make any sense. It's not like Labor's going to bring a special tax and be like, if you're a retiree, you have to pay a new tax. Like, mm. do you reckon that there's enough gullible idiots who, are, who would switch, who, weren't, who aren't rich, who weren't going to vote for the Libs in the first place, who don't benefit from this rort, but who will be scared into thinking that the Libs are actually coming for them because they're using this ludicrous terminology of calling it a tax. Do you reckon mm. that that's a substantial, that it is actually a vote flipper on the, for those yeah. sort of retirees? Do you reckon they can, they're really dumb enough to believe this? Yes, because it's worked before. Look at the carbon tax and how that was sold. And I'll read this quote from Peter Credlin about two years ago. Along comes a carbon tax. It wasn't a carbon tax, as you know. It was many other things in nomenclature terms. We made it a carbon tax. We made it a fight about the hip pocket and not about the environment. That was brutal retail politics, and it took Abbott about six months before he cut through. And when he cut through, Gillard was gone. This is that strategy again. Except that Gil the problem is that Gillard conceded that the carbon price was a carbon tax. Like, it was an idiotic thing for her to do, but she, she gave them that. Yeah, because, as I said before, that Labor government did not know how to deal with that kind of criticism. Also, Tony Abbott was the most effective opposition leader in Australian politics, let's be but honest. It, aren't there two fundamental differences then between calling the carbon price a carbon tax mm. and calling the ending of cash payouts for franking credits a retiree tax? Yes. Um, they're it, both lies, but there's a huge difference. One is the Prime Minister con the, the Labor Prime Minister conceded tax, that, that it was mm. called it a tax, agreed with it being a tax, mm. which was dumb. But yes. secondly, the carbon price was going to affect everyone because it mm. wasn't. I mean, even though Labor's plan was there was a, a um, compensa monetary compensation for it that actually meant that the people on lower incomes benefited, mm. that they still, everybody was going to pay a little, like mm. in the short term, you were going to pay a little mm. bit more. Mm. But in the case of the retiree 
um, <laughs> tax in quotes, mm. that clearly doesn't apply to most people. And as no, soon as it they doesn't. What it is, no. They will surely, unlike the carbon price, which did affect everyone, the retire, mm. the, the ending of pay, cash powers, that only affects a small proportion of people. Like, mm. will I it think- really hit the other pensioners? Are they really going to be dumb enough when they look into it and go, oh, hang on, it doesn't affect me at all? I mm. do think, well, I think part of the problem is people don't look into it. People don't look into mm. it in detail. They hear retiree tax and they tune out. They get scared. Um, I mm. also think that it's that idea of aspiration, that we're aspirational. And even if people have no possible way um, at that age to buy a whole bunch of shares, people close to the age or at that age will still believe that they could find themselves in a position where this benefited them. Really? Mm. It, it feels yeah. like retirees of all people should be the ones least um, subject to the whole aspiration thing because surely mm. at their point they're like, no, nah, it was going to happen. It would have happened by now. Not going to happen. No, now. no, there, no, there is, and there has to be some studies into this, which we should probably look into at some point. But there is this asp- there is this aspirational mindset, even still at that age. It's fascinating. I'm not rich now, but I could be. That's pretty ridiculous. Hmm. And whether it's ridiculous doesn't mean that people don't do it. Just as people don't mm. believe it. Yes, and that's part people of People do silly things, but it's hard to imagine that level. But it's the same thing that lets people think that they, you know, that even growing up extremely poor without any advantage, that if they work really hard, they'll have the super big house and the super big cars and, and all of those things, even if there's no evidence to back this up. And even if you can look at it and rationally say it's silly, it's so imbued in what we believe i find as a society it's getting like it, it's very much been the u.s dream but i find in the mm. 14 15 years i've lived in australia it's been becoming more and more a part of it here too i, I agree i agree that it is as a pitch to um people at, at the working you know the, the younger working end of their lives because there's 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 that problem i suspect though that the retirees who don't have these huge cash balances uh, I suspect that if they, as soon as they realise that they're not going to be affected by this change at all because they don't get cash payouts right now, so if, as soon, all they have to have is like just see what the policy is. Like it, it's if they're voting on their hip pocket, they'll immediately see that it doesn't affect their hip pocket even in the slightest. It will never affect their hip pocket. They're not going to suddenly obtain a vast income from shares at that age. But again, people don't actually look into it. They hear retiree tax. They hear stories from okay. their friends who it's going well, to Well, I mean, that, that was my question, whether you yeah. think that that, that, that kind that of idiocy cuts through. And so basically, this government can basically call anything a tax. Well, that's what they're doing. They're trying to do a policy that they considered of, of uh, promoting electric mm. vehicles. They're calling it the, the, the what's it, the electric vehicle tax or the... He's going to add five thousand dollars to. He's going to ban Utes. What was it? Hang on. Here's here's this idiotic. Uh, this is Michaelia Cash talking bullshit about about um, uh. the, the Labour Party is going to take away tradies' Utes. <laughs> uh. And in fact, this morning we met Johnny. Johnny has been here for thirty years. This is the only job he has ever had. He started as an apprentice, and his son has now joined him in this great family business also undertaking an apprentice. But what I worry about for people like Johnny is that the car he is driving today, if a Labor government is ever elected, will not be the car he is driving tomorrow. In fact, if you look behind us at all of these apprentices here, 50% of those apprentices will be driving an electric vehicle under Bill Shorten. We are going to stand by our tradies and we are going to save their utes. Now, they don't stand behind the treaties enough to fund TAFE, to fund apprenticeship positions. To protect they their don't- Took the words right out of my mouth. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
But, you know, the important thing is that tradies want to be driving the same car in 2030 as they're driving in 2019. Oh. Like, they don't want to be driving a different car tomorrow. They want to be driving whatever shitbox they've got right now in 2019. Oh. They want to be driving it in 2030. I mean, that's that's the tradie dream. What did she talk How? How does Michaela Cash still have a political career? How does she put on her pants in the morning? <laughs> like, what? I, I feel like she'd struggle. She talks complete, and, and of course, oh. it, look here's, here's um, Catherine Murphy from the Guardian calling bullshit on this, all this new nonsense. Mm. As Bill Shorten said today, nobody's Ute is going to be confiscated anytime soon. Nobody's Hilux is going to be confiscated. This is this is ludicrous. Like of all of the, I shouldn't say this is the most ludicrous conversation we've ever had about climate policy because we all know that isn't true, but this really is ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Now, what what's happening is the Labor Party is proposing uh, to impose a vehicle emission standard. Now, uh, the, this government, the the Abbott Morrison. Uh, Turnbull government uh, also had a similar investigation. They thought they might impose a vehicle emission standard as well, but they backed off uh, once the lobbying around this issue became too hot. So Labor is proposing an, a, a, a new pollution standard for vehicles, and that will drive the the uptake of electric vehicles. Okay. okay. Which is not the same thing as what Cash was saying at all. Interesting that the week before they uh, went on this uh, rampage against electric vehicles, Josh Frydenberg was sending out letters to his electorate talking about how great electric vehicles were and how they're one of the moves of the future and people should move to them. Oh, did you see the footage of Christina Keneally basically standing there with a bunch of photographs of Libras in front of... uh, Electric cars, cars. I'll play you a bit of it, hang on. Your question is about uh, ultra-fast charging stations. They do charge cars in about eight minutes. How do we know that? We know that because Angus Taylor told us so himself in October of 2018 when he announced that his government, the Morrison government, would be actually funding the development of those ultra-charged stations. I also think what's going to happen with electric vehicles? Well, the transport sector is equivalent to what the iPhone did to the communication sector. Those people today who ridicule electric vehicles will probably be the ones behind them in a decade's time. Now, those aren't my words, although I do agree with them. Those are Josh Frydenberg's words. Here he is, Joshy, hanging out with some electric vehicles. There we go, right there in the parliament. Oh, Stuart Robert. Now, some people say that, you know, that will the grid be able to manage electric vehicles? It will, unless maybe if Stuart Robert is downloading on his home internet. Uh, oh, Greg Hunt. Greg Hunt, here he is hanging out. He's got a whole bus. It's proclaiming zero emissions. Good on you, Greg, standing behind the electric vehicle network. Josh is back. Here he is. And he's, oh, that's at Parliament, for those of you who may not recognize it. And here's Josh driving around Parliament in his electric vehicle. He's so keen to trump the arrival of electric vehicles in Australia. Actually, have you seen the footage of, like, Frydenberg's electric car that they keep driving around is an electric vehicle. Like, they've got a... It's, it's like you would think... They, they didn't even have time between deciding to drop this policy and deciding it was going to be the big centrepiece of their attack on Labor and their $5,000 car tax or whatever whatever they're lying about now. Um, but to, to change their vehicles within the electric... It's like, they, if they're going to run this, they needed to not have those same cars that they're driving around. It doesn't work. Hmm. I just want to go back for a second about this whole generational warfare thing, which seems to be a fundamental part of this election campaign too. So um, 
in that same, uh, it was from the drum that that bit of Catherine Murphy was taken, but they had a Mans to Vanstone on at the same time. So I don't know, I'm pretty sure Denise wasn't around when Vanstone was a minister for like social security and um, education, various things under Howard. Do you remember uh, Vanstone as a Howard government minister, Brandon? Uh, yeah, I remember. Interestingly, uh, Chris Pine was her protege. I, I never really I never really appreciated Amanda Vanstone's politics, but she was good at her job. But, you know, even people who are good at their job get, occasionally get it wrong, and you know, Chris Pine was her mistake. I don't know that I would even pay that Amanda Vanstone was good at her job. Uh, I remember her being <laughs> an absolutely hideous minister. I, I do remember her at the time that um, the Howard government was busy slashing, um, I think it was uh, the hex amount, so increasing the amount that, that uni, the uni students would have to pay, um, and uni students were protesting about that. Uh, she called them uh, pigs with their snouts in the trough. Even though the students who were protesting were already protected, those students were not having <laughs> going to be affected by the new policy. It was they were protesting on behalf of the people who were coming after them. Mm. Um, something which apparently mm. eludes boomers as a, as a concept of something you might do. But um, no, Vanson was a disgrace. But uh, here she is on that same drone episode this week with some bonkers shit uh, as part of the the generational war that, that, that the Libs are currently currently running. Mm. Hello, you know, if, I, if I had a message to the younger Australians that think that way, and I'm sure he's right, many of them do, it would be look at what your grandparents had as a house when they started and uh, what they got from the government by way of assistance. And the country that we've now got, with all the wealth that we've got, uh, 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 is a function of what those people have built. It hasn't happened sort of by accident. And I think it's fair enough to look after those people. They didn't have anything like uh, the millennials now have. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a, a, a bit of a problem with property prices and uh, millennials getting into the property market. But the idea that millennials have got a tough deal uh, compared to what uh, my parents or grandparents had is just rubbish. Uh, um, I, generations I, and yeah. generations get a better and better deal. Now, we've got a housing issue, sure, but... Um, that, that's another aspect. Now, quite right, fairness is, is very much in the eye of uh, the beholder. You know, when I was the welfare minister, there's nothing more frustrating than people arguing for more things to be given to people on a pension. That's meant to make you weep, you know, someone's on a pension. Then you go and speak to someone who's uh, worked hard and saved to make sure that they don't lean on the rest of us for a pension and they don't get that extra thing and they end up worse off. So it's a really hard balancing act at that intersection point. Yeah, I think you could have cut that off when, as soon as she said, when I was welfare minister, quite honestly. <laughs> well, look, there's two infuriating things in that, and I have played them one after the other, but the, let, let's deal with them mm -hmm. one at a time because obviously there's the housing thing and then there's the insane crap about, about people on pensions. Actually, let's start with the last thing first. The idea that a minister in charge of social security found it really annoying when uh, people were talking about uh, better support for the people stuck on, on the pension. It's like, oh, well, you know, they're not deserving. They're leaners. They're not the people who, you know, set things out so that they didn't need any money and therefore we should be kinder and give more money to the people who, do, who don't need money. Like, can you imagine the, the, the a social security minister? You, you, this is, you were saying, Brandon, that, that you thought, you know, maybe she was a competent minister. No, no, that was her mm. attitude as a social security minister. Uh, I must. Rem I'm either. I'm either remembering through nostalgia or misremembering her role. <laughs> I mean, that is that is monstrous. So, as a social security minister, mm. your job is you're, you're the minister, the part of the government that's supposed to be making sure that people uh, un who are, do not have another means of an income are able to survive, are, are being supported appropriately, that we actually have a social safety net. And if your attitude is 
Yeah, but they don't deserve it. Oh, it's just there's nothing more frustrating than mm. having to, you know, give resources to people mm. who I don't like. But well, you've just said a mouthful there. I mean, it's again, it's who do they consider deserving, and it is people they like. Oh, yeah, we should give more to the people who already have. Yes, them. like that's fundamentally the, the right wing philosophy is, uh, you know, as uh, in the Bible, you know, Jesus, you know, to to those who have have more, shall be given. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm really yeah, supply side Jesus is a thing, absolutely. <laughs> um. And, and that's for the first part of that, the housing bit. Okay, Denise, do you, you want to, you know, Amanda Vance I mean, you didn't grow up with your parents in Australia, as, um, but but I I can reassure you that uh, the people who are of Amanda Vance's generation. I mean, I don't know about Amanda Vance's grandparents. Maybe they were in like the Depression or something, and it was particularly grim back in the Depression as well. But we're not talking about people back in the thirties. We're talking about the people who got their houses sometime between the fifties and the. Uh, 90s when the Howard and Costello mucked it up. <laughs> As she concedes there's a bit of a housing... There might be something about oh, house there prices. Might, there might be some issues with house prices. I think she's doing one of those brilliant things again where she says millennials and what she means is everyone between 20 and 45. Whereas it's actually mm. people like generally between... Is it 25 and 35 is the range? There's a lot of people who don't own houses who are locked out of the market of yes. all various ages. And, and just the, the, the idea that... that She's got that. She's practically saying it in that sing song, like whingy voice. Ooh, they think they have a hard time. Oh, maybe there's some problems with the housing market. Um, like, how could she be like? They've got. It, they should look at how hard their grandparents had it, and then okay, maybe there's a problem with the housing market. Like those two things are in complete opposition. Like the problem with the housing market is because they have it much harder than their grandparents. Hmm. And how can you argue with that? But also not taking into account wage stagnation, higher costs of living. But the figures are clear. It's like the the difference is like between like double and then six times. It's like the the, the ratio of house prices to um, income, and you can you can tell how the people who are wanting to run that line um, just want to hear it from people like Vance. They just want to hear them say, "No, no, you had it tougher," and they don't want to look in what the, into what the reality is. Because as soon as they look into, it, you know, whenever they talk about it, the the the, the defenders of uh, the the monstrous housing market and the people who say that you know we don't need to do anything about it, you know they come out and they're like oh your kids today want those McMansions they want you know they won't start with a humble house I'm like dude a, a shack on fire in a swamp you know hundred kilometers out from the Sydney CBD is a, is you know over a million bucks like are you insane they're not people aren't it's not like the people who are trying to enter the housing market are being snobs about the houses they just want I mean, they're paying a stupid amount of money for things where they don't even have any land. Mm. Well, interestingly, I've just looked Amanda Vanstone up, um, and I'm I'm reading her Twitter account. Uh, oh, she has oh she has a Twitter account. Oh, good. She does. She does. Um, and she says things that you know it's uh it's things like radical terrorism that causes Islamophobia and not racism. Oh God, it's not she's not wrong to worry about immigration in the wake of terror. She's she's gone senile like Rowan Bishop has, has she? Or was she always like this? We just didn't notice. Uh, possibly she always was. She was always pretty awful. Rowan <laughs> uh, Bishop, you ever get, get her on? You get her out on in front of a camera now. She basically is talking about reds under the beds. Essentially, everything is socialism. Rowan Bishop would not know socialism if you gift wrapped it and handed it to her on the drinks tray. Socialism is one of those key words that they say. It's one of those scare words. And, yeah. and it's anything they disagree with is socialism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah that, that sums it up, yes. I think when we were we had a, a jump cut of the scare campaign about the Greens, uh, we had um, some of Bromer's insane crap about the Greens like two episodes ago. There, there are a lot of other things for us to cover. Mm. 
But I feel like where we should go now, just as we sort of start to wrap up with the podcast, is some more sort of amusing, deranged, stupid things from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, look, let's let's start with. Did you did you see the Chris Kenny thing where he got uh, really angry about the ABC wanting to murder conservatives? No. Oh, <laughs> let me play this. The, the best part about this clip is that the audio that he plays immediately shows that that's not what they said. <laughs> it's it's gold. Hang on, let me let me let me play this for you. And just to highlight the point, the rank hypocrisy of an organisation that finds fault in everyone else and pretends to be the font of peace and tolerance, have a listen to this. This is a radio national discussion about books. The voice you're going to hear first is from the writer Kelly Gardner, and the voices you hear making a joke and laughing are either or both of the hosts of the bookshelf show, Kate Evans and Cassie McCulloch. There's a body early on in the scene, in the book and they go through the process of solving the murder or what they think might be a murder inside uh, what is called the Melbourne International Museum of Art but bears an uncanny resemblance to the NGV <laughs> in Melbourne, although to our knowledge no conservators at NGV have ever been murdered as part of an art forgery scam. Not through um, want of trying or wishing, I'd imagine. <laughs> as far as we know. Um, <laughs> Oh, how jolly, a little joke about murdering conservatives. Yes, they joked about wanting conservatives murdered. That's your peace-loving, objective ABC, railing as ever against extremism. The only murders I know about in, that involve conservators are ones that were done in Cluedo, that were in the conservatory with the candlestick. <laughs> um, again, not the conservator, but still, conservators have never been a prominent character within Cluedo. Okay, f- oh, maybe. Who knows? How do you know Miss Peacock's not a conservator? I don't. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like to imagine that as he was playing the clip, you know, he, he decided he was going to tear into this. Or maybe it wasn't even him. Maybe it was one of his researchers, and he just like, yeah, that sounds like the ABC. I like to imagine that as he was playing the clip, he realised it's like when Piglet thinks that, there's a heffalump caught in the trap, and it is, in fact, Pooh Bear with a honey jar on his head. And the jar falls off, and the words, the, the text is something like, and it was, Piglet saw what a foolish Piglet he had been, and ran straight home and went to bed with, that, with a headache or something. And if, I, I like to imagine that Chris Kenny was playing that, that audio, heard the word conservators, realised that they didn't say conservatives, <laughs> but it was too late then. It was already being broadcast, and he was like, I must press on, and hopefully none of my Muppet Idiot audience will, will notice that that's not what she said. Maybe maybe they'll just believe it if I just say murdering conservatives loudly again, and, and maybe, they're, maybe they're hard of hearing. Maybe they'll just believe me. And he had, did you, or do you reckon that he just genuinely continue, Like, maybe he can't hear the word conservator without hearing conservative. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a, a, an illness he has. Mm. It's just beautifully, beautifully absurd. Well, and one more absurd thing that I just thought I'd mention. So we all know that the uh, Liberal candidate for Mayo started handing out government money. Georgina Downer, yeah. Yes, Georgina Downer. She's, she's a, we're hoping that she'll sponsor the podcast because we mm. quite like one of those giant novelty checks. Exactly. More novelty checks have been handed out. Basically, in uh, the Barrack Football and Netball Club in the seat of Latrobe out, out east here, got given a $1.5 million novelty check by the, uh, the local M- Liberal MP. Though Michael McCormick sent a letter saying, um, don't sign any contracts or spend the money because it's not actually been assigned to you yet. <laughs> Wasn't it, um, was it, was it Melissa Price? Or one of, there's another one of the Liberal members who got in trouble the other day 
because they had given out or they declared that people were going to receive these grants in in a process that hadn't actually been that the they were hadn't been opened yeah, yet. Yeah, the the actual the, the sports and community grants hadn't and, actually opened yet. And then announced it. And like the, the Labour Party's questioning, I should probably have had the grab the audio of this, but there's Labour Party's questioning um, Scummo about it, uh, the floor of Parliament. Uh, who do you believe? Which the the, the your, your member who said, who actually did this, in, or your or I think it was Corman saying, no, no, that wasn't done at all. Uh, like which one of these people who are clearly saying contradictory things do you believe? Mm. Um, and Scummo's like, I believe both of them. Yeah, and it's just. Yeah, no, they're shameless with that. Like, they're, 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 they're giving out cash, but the fact that they're doing it when they haven't actually got the cash to give out at this point mm. is even... Like, that's a spectacular new low. Yes. Um, I want to actually, talking of spectacular new lows, play you this idiotic bit from um, Scummo in Parliament about uh, Labor's carbon um, plan. Mm-hmm. Now, over in Kazakhstan, I'm sure they're pretty pleased about this, Mr Speaker. I'm sure they're, they're, I'm sure they're absolutely thrilled about this. Some may call this a carbon tax, Mr Speaker. Member I'm going to call Shortland. it the Borat tax, Mr Speaker. <laughs> the Borat tax, which will be put on by the Labor Party, with carbon credits to Kazakhstan. And I know what, I know what Borat would think of the Labor's, Labor Party's policies on emissions reduction, Mr Speaker. Very nice. Very nice. That's what they'd be thinking. You could hear him building up to it. It was like this car crash that you knew. Yeah. He's going to do an impression. <sighs> He's going to do it, isn't he? Uh. Whenever he tries to do something that is like pop culture relevant, it falls so flat. He was talking about being a big fan of Jon Snow this morning. Oh, have you seen the footage of him like sta- sitting right in front of the giant like screen that, that Foxtel put up for him for the first episode of the, the new Game of Thrones season? Uh, and, and yeah, no, that's right. They, they're trying to pretend he's you know, an ordinary Australian. Um, hey, scummo. Uh, Ordinary Australians, Foxtel doesn't just give them Game of Thrones for free. They either have to pay an exorbitant fee to Foxtel or find it through some other means that I'm sure your government will try and penalise them for. Like the AFP was out there. The federal police are out there trying to boost Foxtel's profits by um, you know, putting out ads on Facebook, trying to yeah, they put they put a poll off. on Facebook that said, you know, had the two pictures, and it's like, how are you going to watch Game of Thrones? Legally or illegally, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh my god! Well, I was hoping that Foxtel would uh, give me a free free viewing, like uh, they gave to the Prime Minister. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no. while we're talking of Scummo's other um, absurd crap, and this is now actually on the campaign trail. You saw the footage of him greeting a uh, Korean <laughs> woman uh, with the wrong Asian language. Mandarin, I think it was. It was indeed. There was a bit of confusion, though, about what kind of restaurant he was in. I don't think he quite realised until he'd laid eyes on the menu that it was a Korean restaurant. I'm from the Korean community. Yeah, no, it wasn't because he saw something on a menu. She had to say to him, no, no, I, I mean, I, I, know, I know you walk around you know, greeting all Caucasian people by saying bonjour, um, but you know, we Asian people are not all the same. Some of us from different countries speaking different okay, languages. People, if know. people want to just start greeting all you know, Caucasian people with bonjour, I'm all for it. Yeah, I would too, actually. formidable. <laughs> we could, but it would always turn into, for me, like a Beauty and the Beast sort of montage. Bonjour. Yes, we must. Yes, there must be more than this provincial life. (laughs) I'm still wondering if the worst thing that happened to the French today was burning down to the cathedral or me attempting to say um, bonjour. Or was it Zutalor in a French accent? (laughs) Haven't they suffered enough? Mm. All right, there there are more things, but we've run it completely out of time for our slot on the internet. Um, Brandon, 
Thank you for coming back. Where can people find you in your slot on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, so at Brandon underscore Selleck. And you can also find me on Facebook, which I should know off the top of my head, but I actually don't, <laughs> at uh, facebook.com slash Brandon Selleck PPAU. Uh, and you'll you'll get you'll get the spelling off the website for from where the podcast is. I'm sure. It sounds like you're intending to uh, be involved in a political campaign shortly, but uh, in, not in a position <laughs> to announce it. Although the obviously the link uh, URL that you just described makes it pretty obvious for whom you are intending to do that. <laughs> uh, well, it wouldn't be the first time. And Denise, where can people find you? About a meter over there, but uh, otherwise. <laughs> Uh, I remain Dean C on Twitter, D E N S E Y. All right, thank you for coming. Thank you both of you for having this discussion with me. There is actually a lot more, so we've got, uh, you know, next week's episode's also got, got all manner of hilarious things to listen to. Um, but thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers. You are how the podcast keeps running. Uh, thank you to everybody who has listened to us and given us a review on iTunes. And thank you, Robin Gray, for the music, Alex Long for the artwork, and we'll see you all next week. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.